Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. On August 5th, 120 years ago, the Heinemann Settlement School opened its doors to meet the unmet needs of Knott County through education, health care, and social support. This year in late July, the school and the tiny town of Heinemann, along with many areas of the eastern Kentucky region, were greatly impacted by heavy rainfall and devastating floods. The loss of lives, property, schools, in that special sense of place that keeps so many in and returning to Appalachia, was swept away in a matter of hours. It was midweek at the Settlement School's annual Appalachian Writers' Conference. Visiting authors, writers, and staff had retired for the evening. Then it started raining, and raining hard. Josh Mullins, Senior Director of Development and Implementation at the Heinemann Settlement School, was at home, when a phone call told him to rush back to campus. Troublesome Creek was rising, faster and quicker than anyone could ever remember. Um, Well, of course, I went straight to the the folks that called um, just to check on them and saw that um, there were cars underwater, higher than um, I had ever seen before. I mean, we've seen cars take on some water if they leave them parked in certain areas that are in the low, if it's on a normal kind of flooding or heavy rain situation. Um, but this was far higher than that, and it was um, getting very close to the building at that point. So um, we pretty quickly made the decision that um, all our guests downstairs needed to get to higher ground. Um, so we started packing all their belongings up. And you also have offices uh, in on that same yes. area. Uh, tell me what you found in there. Yeah, so um, we, we got... Um, you know, folks out tried to do pretty quickly and notify some, try to save some cars, which we, I don't think we were successful in, in any of that. And by the time, by the time we I ran up the hill to where other guests were staying in our, one of our other uh, uh, dorms, um, by the time they got back down, it was not safe for them to try to move. So, looks at our offices, our archives, um, all of our storage is on this main, the lower level here of this building. And, um, by the time we got folks out and moved all their belongings out to higher ground, it was sort of not quite ankle deep at that point downstairs, but but getting close. And so um, we did that. And then our traditional arts director, Sarah Kate Morgan, um, she um, wanted to try to save some of the instruments that we have. And so we went to the archives and moved some things higher. And um, some of our pick and bow instruments, our after school music program, all of her instrument storage was downstairs. And she wanted to kind of get those higher so that um, they may not uh, be lost. So we started moving and shifting and doing some things like that. Um, what, what are you doing today? Um, we're uh, about uh, a week in or so, uh, 10 days uh, out from the, the devastating uh, water rising. Uh, what, what process are you going through and have you been going through the last few days? 
Um, well, the settlement school pretty quickly went into a mode of trying to, um, you know, be a resource um, immediately to start housing folks. Uh, we have lots of beds here on campus. You know, they weren't um, clean and fresh because we evacuated folks out um, from the workshop that morning. As soon as the waters went down around noon, we got all our guests out, and then we started bringing folks in, um, cooking meals here as best we could without power and water and gas, which we still don't have two of those things now. So, um, but yeah, we've shifted pretty quickly and then with great support from uh, board members, friends, uh, the Daughters of the American Revolution, um, the community, um, lots of donations started pouring in to, to feed and clothe and provide some cleaning supplies. Um, and so we've been shifting into that sort of mode um, ever since. And as we sit around, we can just see the supplies growing and I know more more on the way. And they, you see that they, they go out as quick as they come in. I was just ready to say that uh, this is the place that uh, the community, the county, the area know to come to pick up some supplies that they desperately yeah, need. This is one of, of several places in Knott County where, um, where folks can come get supplies. I mean, I, I think we have a lot here with a lot of great support so uh, folks are sending things and, and, and know that we'll work hard to get it to folks who need it so definitely, definitely one of several resources here in Knott County that is uh, used. I would imagine you're going to need these kinds of supplies uh, water, Clorox, uh, diapers, uh, gloves, uh, cleaning supplies of all kinds for weeks on end. Yes um, yeah the, the, the need will not stop everyone keeps reminding us um, all the staff that are here working that it is going to be a, uh, a marathon not a sprint and so um, and we're very mindful of the fact that people are having lots of attention now on this um, but um, there is that fear growing that you know as as journalists leave as you know as the washington post and cnn and many people as the news cycle turns um what happens at that point you know will will the supplies still come how will we be able to continue to serve and meet those needs once um, once the shift focus to to, some, to the, the new headline of the day, and so how do we keep this this devastation um, in the forefront? How do you do that? That is a question. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think we have the right thing is we have lots of great support. Um, and again, we have a, a network of, of folks across the country through our. Um, century-old affiliation with the Dark American Revolution. Um, as we sit here today, whether you know it or not, today is actually August 5th is our 120th birthday. The school oh was goodness. founded on August 5th, 1902. So today is 120 years of, of serving East Kentucky and Knott County. So, um, you know, it's, as I drove into work today, I mean, I have it on my calendar. I know that today is the day that the school was founded. And I was like, you know, it was just a sort of a fitting moment to say, you know, they came here 120 years ago to meet a need. Um, it was an education, you know, lack of social services and you know, sort of a humanitarian aspect as well to a certain degree. And um, today, driving into work, it's the same. I mean, they're still, you know, meeting a need today uh, that the community has just like um, the founders did back 120 years ago. The staff and volunteers at the settlement school immediately went into save and recovery mode. Melissa Helton, a poet and the school's community program manager, was asked to be the point person for the valuable Heinemann Archives collection. Tell me what's taking place in this room, Melissa. Um, right now we have volunteers, some professionals, some complete novices helping to do emergency rescuing of the archive materials that we're able to dry here 
things that we weren't able to um, freeze or things that were just pulled out yesterday that we weren't capable of, of shipping to um, our uh, refrigeration center and ETSU. Um, so we've got folks um, drying cassette tapes that were pulled and washed yesterday. I believe they have oral histories. Um, we're packing up slides that have been drying over the past two days and also photographs. When you first knew of the flood and the condition that the archives were in, as well as the property too, uh, tell me about your reaction. Uh, take me back to those uh, days um, and, uh, and evenings uh, when you first realized that this was uh, more than anything that anybody ever expected. Um, I was here for the Appalachian Writers Workshop and I had gone home that night and um, I woke up in the middle of the night for some reason and I saw that my phone was blowing up with calls and messages. Some people thought I was still on campus, um, but then I was happy I was remote, not only because of the immediate danger, but I was able to kind of function as a, a remote communicator. I had contact with one person at each part of the campus where people were stranded and was able to transfer information between them. Um, and of course the immediate relief that all of our writers and teachers and guests were safe um, in this scary situation. And you know, the horror that kind of unraveled during Thursday as we learned the scope of it. And um, when we came to campus on Friday morning, just seeing the devastation, our offices like a bomb, a muddy bomb <laughs> had gone off. Um, and then just the overwhelming, this is so big, where do we start? And um, we immediately, as the Settlement School started caring for the community, um, giving them food and, and helping where we could, we started receiving donations. But then Will Anderson said, can you take leadership on the archive, which I'm honored to be able to have helped because it's such an important part of history. Um, but, and also, I was completely in over my head. And so when we put out the emergency call saying, I need help, I don't know what this is, I don't know what to do, time is precious, everybody kept saying, you've got 72 hours, you gotta go, go, go. Um, and the response from the uh, literary and the archival and the library and the um, college and university community has been invaluable. Um, people sending me links, sending me YouTube videos, just showing up, um, helping us pull things out of the archive, assess what could be um, salvaged and not. And then just, especially Daughters of the American Revolution, we've had so many volunteers come to help clean and preserve and um, we would not have saved even a tenth of what we were able to without our volunteers. It has been, um, it has been tremendous. For the listeners who don't understand how delicate the, uh, some of these uh, archival materials are, tell me why um, that it's so important that you act quickly uh, to, to uh, salvage, uh, to save, to protect uh, the materials. Um, as has been explained to me, because I didn't know this all a week ago, um, some of the things are just chemically volatile, so if they're like the nitrite negatives um, that had to be cooled and frozen immediately. Um, our photographs, um, I've been surprised that the older photographs from like the, the turn of the, um, the turn of the 20th century seem to be doing better than things that were printed in the 90s, and I assume that's because of the paper, because of the print. Um, the newer photographs have been blurring and um, the paint running or the ink running. Um, but then also our, 
our primary documents, such as the um, Maystone and Catherine Pettit, their handwritten journals from 1899 to 1901, it's, it's our, our foundation's origin story. And praise God that those inks, whatever ink they used in 1900, didn't blur, didn't run. Those documents were able to be dried. Um, but the big, the big battle, of course, is mold. And so uh, the leather books in the archives started molding um, around 72 hours. And um, once, you know, that, that mold starts eating up the, the inks, the materials, the papers, you know, it's, it's destroyed, so. So you've had uh, an army of volunteers that are working on this. Uh, I saw um, some pictures, uh, uh, noted uh, uh, literary figures like uh, Silas House and Jason Howard have been here. I saw Chad Berry from Berea College uh, here this morning. He's working and, and probably some other uh, universities, as you mentioned, too. You, uh, East Tennessee State University is helping you with some uh, frozen, uh, uh, taking those to a, to a freezer vault. Is that is Yes, that the, their archives department, they had two faculty come up and took what could immediately be frozen that we already had access to. And um, we're going to be working with them on cleaning and, and documenting and reclaiming those things. We also have a bunch um, in storage uh, up in Lexington. Um, we've had folks from University of Pikeville, Center College, Berea College, um, UK. Transylvania. I had, uh, Transylvania, um, Southeast Kentucky Community and Technical College took our glass slides and Alexia Alt was here drying out those, those documents from Stone and Pettit. Um, the list of, of professionals that have, have called and sent emails and, and been here physically is a long list, and I know for every one name I remember, I'm, I'm missing six. Uh, what's the next step? How long do you think you'll be uh, in this room at the Hanman Settlement School and uh, working on the archival materials? Uh, what, what are, what's the next stage? It seems like we're going to be done with what we can do here in the next... Um, this weekend. So I imagine on Sunday we're going to be boxing up the last of the things that we were able to dry and save in this room, which is good because then we need this room for distribution um, of donations to the, the community. Um, the next step then is is finding that, that person who's going to take on the next um, the next chore of cataloging what, what was lost, what we have, um, and, and rebuilding our archive. Our cleaning crew is going to get into the archive today and um, be pulling out the materials that are not salvageable and we'll be photographing those so that um, whoever takes on the next chapter of this will will know at least some immediate documentation of what was lost. You've done a fine job, Melissa, for somebody to step in and do this uh, without the training, but it, it sounds like you're a professional from the uh, New York Metropolitan of Art. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I, I've been honored to be part of this and I hope that we never have to do it again. I'll have more from Heinemann, Kentucky after this word from our underwriter, Spalding University's Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing. Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing offers outstanding instruction in a supportive literary community. Study across genres, explore the interrelatedness of the arts, travel to Paris next summer, for short-term study abroad, or stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies on campus. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen, and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing.
or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. A block from the Heinemann Settlement School on the main street that runs through the tiny town is the Appalachian Artisan Center. According to their website, the Artisan Center is dedicated to promoting the work of artists and craftsmen throughout the mountains of Kentucky through marketing and professional development assistance. The Artisan Center is in a building housing offices, a small Appalachian museum, a gift shop, and several rooms where artists in residence create and teach the art, jewelry making, and pottery. Under the umbrella of the Artisan Center is the Appalachian School of Luthery and the Troublesome Creek String Instrument Company. The flood caused major damage to all three buildings. Teresa Thomas, Director of Fundraising and Development for the Artisan Center, described the before and after effects of the flood. Here at the Appalachian Artisan Center, it was, it always housed tons of different types of artists, different genres of artists. And the thing about it is you can walk through the doors at any time. You can see beautiful, here in the Cody building, you can see beautiful works of art from our local artists hanging throughout the walls. The first thing that you would see when you walked in was our Dulcimer Museum. And that, it was absolutely gorgeous. It kind of took you back in time. So it was not just a museum for the pieces that we do now, um, at our other facility, but it also, it was just, it was a part of history. This entire building is a part of history. And then you would walk down and you would see the um, artists that were in our actual studios and um, like our incubator studios working. We had photographers, we had jewelry makers, we had, uh, we even had like uh, screen printing and people that did uh, different types of art. Um, and then as you walk towards the back of our building, you would see our clay studio, which was amazing. We had the, we had multiple different wheels, like pottery wheels, and we had uh, many kilns. And it was just, it was a place for people to come. You could bring your kids on Thursdays and we had our family fun night. Our family fun night consisted of, um, you could bring your kids and yourself. And it was kind of like a date night for adults because we would have one thing going on for them and another thing going on for the kids. So you can still do it as a family, but you kind of got a break and you, you got to kind of work your creativity into your project. And so that was one thing that we absolutely loved doing. We always did that on Thursday nights and it was free to the community. So you would always, always see people in here laughing, cutting up, and like our artists that were in our incubator studios, they would have people come in and everything because that was that was their shop. I mean, there was tons of stuff, especially like in our jewelry makers um, studio. There was so many things, and we would bring students from different counties. They would do like field trips here. We could do like projects with each one of the kids, show them around. And it, it was just, it, it was a good place, a good wholesome place for people to come. And it, it made, we, we actually had a lot of kids that would come on the field trips and then they would turn around and want to come back. You know, it was, it's one of those type of 
environments. Right down from the the Cody Building, uh, where the Artisan Center uh, offices were were are housed, uh, I would say. 200 feet or so on the opposite side of the street was the School of Luthery. Tell me about that and um, what what was going on there. Our School of Luthery, um, it's, it, it was absolutely amazing. Um, we had Paul and everyone down there and our culture of recovery, um, they, they would start there. They would learn the skill of Luthery and Paul and Doug and everyone would teach them how to make it, um, mandolins and everything like that. And they were primarily uh, men who were uh, in recovery uh, from addiction, uh, uh, came in from outside. Uh, they were in a facility for a while in uh, between Heinemann and Hazard. Uh, but I, I'm sure there were others that came in too. And these were men that uh, were were starting over, uh, more or less, and were learning a new skill at the School of Luthery. Absolutely. And this this sometimes was like not just the ones that would go onto our factory after that, but they they would find a new talent. You know, I mean, we, we've had many of them, not, not just at the School of Luthery, but here we've had people that became weavers, we have people that became artists, but the School of Luthery, it really opened and broadened the, their horizons because they never thought, okay, well, I, I'm going to go and make a mandolin or I'm going to go and make a guitar, you know, and once they did something that was hands-on and that was what the school actually allowed them to do. They, they were hands-on, they were working, and so not only while they were in this recovery facility, were they working on their lives, but they were working on this beautiful product that at the end of it, each one of the guys would get either a free guitar or a free mandolin and stuff. And then they, they could hone in on that. They could do it more. And then that was like kind of our school of Luther was kind of like our transitioning point. But we also had other people that would come in from out of state uh, just, just to take a class. And I mean, we, we've had quite a few people that would come in to take classes and most of the time when you went down there, you would hear like a jam session, you know, I mean, the guys just, you know, either sitting inside or sitting outside, just like picking away. And I remember the first time that I ever met Paul and um, the first yeah, Paul time ever, uh, Smith, isn't it? Uh, who is uh, the, the master uh, craftsman, if yeah. you will, one of them. <laughs> Exactly. And the first time I ever saw him, he was showing me uh, one of the dulcimers and he just starts picking. And I mean, this three stringed instrument, I had never heard one play before. And I'm like, how is he doing that? And he's just going to town. And then that led into one of the guys that was working on it, started playing and then another one. And then all of a sudden it was just a big jam session. It, it, it's a good environment. It's a yeah. really good environment. So that's at the School of Luthery. That's still on the, the main uh, street uh, in, in the town of Heinemann. Now let's go back over to the Heinemann Settlement School. And on that property uh, down below is the old, I guess it was the old high school at uh, one time? Yes, at one time it was the old high school. It's a, a large uh, stone building, uh, quite beautiful uh, today. And, and in its time, you can just picture it there. But now it is the Troublesome Creek Stringed Instrument Company. So when the uh, the gentlemen who are uh, in 
recovery and have learned the skill of making these fine instruments uh, at the School of Luthery, they go over to the to the factory and begin to, um, I don't know, mass produce is really not the word because you don't do that to a, a beautiful, fine uh, instrument, but using uh, native woods, Kentucky woods, uh, they begin to, to make um, instruments. So describe that for me and the men who are working there. Um, the Troublesome Creek String Instrument Company, it, it, it's something unlike anything that I've seen in or around our area. And the thing about it is, these guys, like you said, um, we had a lot that worked for the facility that did come from the recovery program. We had some that did not, and they just were skilled Luthers, or they they loved the idea of having a guitar or instrument factory in Eastern Kentucky. So they came in and started working with it. But these guys, here they are. They were in recovery. They were at our school of Luthery, and then they were offered a position, a paying position here. So they, they not only were able to work on themselves at the recovery facility and then work on a craft, but now they have a career. And that's the thing, these, these guys, and they don't just look at it as a career, they put their heart and they, they put their soul into it. I mean, that is one thing that I gotta say about each and every one of them. Um, when I first met Doug and some of the guys and everything, I'm like, I wanted to see the process and I mean they down to like the simplest thing if they are all the way through like a guitar bass and they see one spot that is not too hard they're like no mm -mm, gotta start all over and the thing about that is they take pride they take pride in everything that they produce in that factory and these guys I mean they they literally they work over there from Monday through Friday, but it's more like a community. It's not just like coworkers or anything like that. They're a support to each other too. And I know they would have lunch together every day. Doug always made sure the guys had food like so that they didn't have to go out and buy like their food or anything like that for lunch. And they would all sit down together and so they would have lunch. So at lunchtime, instead of everybody going every which direction, here they are. And they're like, no, we're going to sit here. And then after they got done, they would go in and start working again. And they all fed off of one another. And the instruments that come out of that facility are amazing. They really yeah, they're beautiful. They really are. So, Teresa, that was um, all before the floods came in late July. And let me take you back to your office and in the artisan center what uh, was it like uh, the day after uh, the floods and the rains came it was <sighs> the, the simplest way that i could put it is that it it was a disaster i mean it, it was something that was un unfathomable it really was because we walked in my husband and i were the first ones that got here. And as soon as I pulled up to the building, there was no windows, like in the front of the building. The entire Dulcimer Museum, which you typically see from the city streets, like as you're going by, I, I could see from that turn coming around the corner that there was no Dulcimer Museum. 
there was nothing. I mean, um, the displays, there was only two displays like left in there. We had to push, well, actually just coming through the parking lot, we were still going through floodwaters uh, to get into the building because we not only got hit from the front, but we also got hit from the back of our building um, because there is another stream that was behind there, a lot of runoff. And so we we had to push through that and we, we had to watch where we were stepping because the concrete was just tore all the pieces. We didn't know where was safe to step and where wasn't. Um, coming inside, we had to push the doors open because there was over a half a foot of mud, debris, glass everywhere. Uh, some of the pottery that was from the back of the building was now in front. Um, and we could see the line of the water and the mud and everything. It literally ate away some of our posters that went down the hallway our stuff that was on the walls that were displayed from our artists or from our uh, family fun nights that gone. Um, all of the, the actually the um, incubator studios, they were so bad that we couldn't even get the doors open. Well, actually our door to our Dulcimer Museum was laying about 50 feet from where it had originally hung. I mean, things ripped off the wall entire frames ripped off the wall it was it was it was horrible and as you went through the entire place it, it was just more horrible and we literally were like falling all, all over everything debris and you still heard things falling down as we were going through there so we at that time we didn't want to go on because we the like I said we still had went through like some flood water to get in here the uh, Troublesome Creek was still high, uh, the waters, and so we were like, okay, let's let's go out, then we need to go to our other place to see how it looked. Um, and down the street, um, uh, because I was with you just a few days ago uh, at the Artisan Center and at the uh, uh, School of Luthery, um, yeah, I, I, it it was to me, I, I don't see how they're going to put that back together. I know it will be, but uh, it was completely uh, wiped with uh, the water and the sludge and the machines and, and all of that. D describe what you saw first and then what's been happening in the last few days. Um, the school of Luthery, um, it was... It was worse than what it was over here at the um, Cody building. Um, all of the equipment, everything that the guys actually used to uh, learn how to make the instruments, all of it was like pushed toward the back if anything was like left in there because the windows again were busted completely out. I know that you saw where they had put the boards up and stuff, but the windows were completely busted out. The doors were off the frame. Um, there was again debris everywhere. And it, it was like a repeating, a revolving door from Cody Building to the School of Luthery. And then we went over to uh, Troublesome Creek Stringed Instrument Company. And as we got over there, the waters were still so high that the bridge was barely like uncovered. And we couldn't take our vehicles across um, where we typically do. We had to walk across. But walking across was... 
walking across the bridge was just as dangerous as trying to drive because there was so much debris, so much mud. It literally, like we had to move stuff just to get to the building. Then getting to the building, there was literally on the outside, just the mud itself on the outside, there was over like five feet of mud that had like piled up in front of the door. So you basically had to walk over a mountain of mud to get into the building. And when we finally did go into the building, one side of the building was still flooded at this point, but it was going down. So we wanted to check on the factory and it was, uh, I, I just, it, it shows the power of water and mud by the fact, the sheer fact that it moved pieces of equipment that typically couldn't be moved by 10 or 15 guys. It, it threw it around like it was nothing but a piece of paper. It, like some of the uh, equipment, like their CNC machines or their desk, oh, their desk, their desk, the guys made them by hand, uh, them and Doug, and they, they would be on the other side of the room. And it was just incredible to see that, that force and the instruments laying everywhere, just shattered, broken, tore, and the level of the water in there, it had gotten just high enough to destroy every piece of equipment that was in there. So everything that these guys worked so in the 10 days or, or two weeks or so coming up on uh, the time when the flooding began from the overnight rains, what have you seen uh, is happening uh, in, let's just stay with the factory there and where cleanup is beginning, but there's still a lot of work to be done? Um, we started picking up pieces. That's, that's the best way to put it is that we've started picking up the pieces and the fact of the matter is, it, like you said, it's going to be a long road. But I will say that each one of the guys that worked there, it the day of, like as soon as they were able to get out, and some of our guys, they lost everything. I mean, they literally lost their homes. And they came over there, and they were helping. The community members have been helping everyone. Like, And we've been like fighting to like try to get it back up and running because this is not just a factory. It's not just a business. It's it's, it's not anything like that. This is a way of life. This is a, this was their recovery. This was what they know. This was their home away from home. And so our main goal is to get that back up and running for these guys. And the thing about it is it's, it, it's, it's getting there. We, we've been cleaning it up. Um, the mud and debris are not as bad as what it was. Everything that was in there, like I said, was destroyed. Um, the guys were, hopeful and they 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 got some of the guitars out and everything and they're taking them home and trying to dry them out in their bathrooms you know because that's that's what they know that's what they love to do but at the same token like right now they're not um, over there they're at the school luthery cleaning up and everything and trying to salvage what they can there but uh we're working every day to try to get it up and running. But I will say that um, each one of our guys, like like I said, that it's more like a family. It's not just employees or anything like that. We've kept them on uh, and we will continue to keep them on. We're not gonna lay anyone off. We're gonna get the factory back up and running. But in the meantime, 
like I said, they're still coming in. They're still trying to clean up, salvage what they can. And it's it's constant from daylight to dark working to get it back up and running. That's what's going on right now. Teresa, for the whole region and what you, what you have observed and what you know from uh, talking to so many people, um, how long is it going to be before things are even get back to a semblance of, of normalcy? Is it going to be months and months? We'll, we'll, are we talking about the first of the year before things are up and running again? That, it depends because it's, it's so bad. Like, I mean, it, it is bad. I, like, as far as our stuff, we are, we are shooting for a couple of months, like trying to get it at least workable, you know, like get the factory back and going. But as far as the community, I mean, there's just so much devastation. I know um, we were taking some stuff around to houses and just like cleaning supplies and stuff like that. And the thing about it was half the people weren't there. They, they're no longer there because they have nothing to come back to. And this amount of devastation in the region, like not just Knott County, but the surrounding counties, uh, like Letcher and Pike and Perry, everyone that got hit, it's it's going to take a while. And even if we build back the structures and all that stuff, the memory of this, it's going to take years. And the fear every time it starts raining, that's that's I don't think that's ever going to go away. I really don't because right now we're under another flood today. And everyone's like, oh, we got to watch the weather. We got to watch the weather. So that fear, it's going to last probably a lifetime, just to be honest. Well, thank you for your information. Uh, you know that uh, there are a lot of people that are thinking about you and thinking about all the people uh, in the regions that were uh, in all the counties that were affected. Uh, I, I do believe that uh, uh, Kentuckians and outside of Kentucky, uh, um, uh, the president, uh, many others are, are going to stick uh, right with you until it's uh, all put back together again. It's just going to take a while. We will continue to, to uh, stay uh, close to you and um, monitor your situation. And and um, at Kentucky Humanities, of course, being an affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities, uh, our job, um, uh, sometimes I wish it could be uh, repairing houses or food, uh, but it is to protect the cultural and resources and the uh, the art and history of the region. And we uh, want to be sure that we do our job in that way. So we'll we'll stick with you uh, throughout and um, check with you again uh, as soon as we can. Thank you so much. We appreciate the support from you and everyone else. That's what's going to allow us to make it through this. And that's what's going to allow us to build back is the support. For our Think Humanities podcast, I'm Bill Goodman. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.